Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. episode 209 bienvenidos bitches and we tb nafi and thank you for being here and listening yeah now fruit loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims because contrary to popular belief not all serial killers are straight cisgender able-bodied white dudes what telling you girl and these crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is racist it is a lot of ists but (laughs) that is all allegedly (laughs) <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. That's right. She's one of the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. All right. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Frederick Pete Cox, a black man who went on a killing spree in March and April of 1997, murdering three women and assaulting two others. Okay, so before we get into it, why don't you tell me, Beth, how you doing? I'm doing great. So we're recording this prior to CrimeCon, and I've right. got that uh, pre-CrimeCon excitement. <laughs> So I'm feeling really good. Uh, But by the time this airs, it will be after CrimeCon. So I'm interested to see how it went. (laughs) I know. Well, future Beth, I can't wait to hear how it went either. Yeah. LOL, 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 LOL. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm good. I am feeling very focused. I have not had any caffeine pills today. And I have been using Magic Mind. Now, did you get your Magic Mind? Yeah. And it is amazing. It's It's amazing. It's kind of unreal, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just real quick, Magic Mind. Culture Corner. No, just kidding. No, it's not a Culture Corner. Magic (laughs) Mind is like, this um it's a drink it's a drink and it gives you energy and focus it's got all these natural ingredients and it's tasty and if you want to avoid having a cardiologist <laughs> because you consume too much caffeine give it a try but anyway just making sure beth got hers today so yeah yay! yeah i was blown away i mean seriously this is just <laughs> good stuff that's what, I, that's what i was saying like d- does anybody else know about this because uh, I have so, so much energy, but I'm not um, stressed out. Yeah. It's like chill energy. I don't even know how to describe it. I, I know. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. I don't know either. I just know. It works. We really did like for reals use it and for reals yeah. dig it. It works. I need more. Yeah. yeah we need more. <laughs> They're sponsoring the show and we think everybody should listen. So yeah. check out the promo code in our ad. But anyway, we know not everybody should listen. Everybody should go and get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, all is well. Let's get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Thank you. All right. What's in that bag, Beth? Well, I don't have anything in the bag, but I think you do. Yeah. I just wanted to shout out to our Fruity and Patreon for a long time. We love you. Tara M. And uh, Tara commented on our recent Extra Extra episode saying, oh, going to miss Extra Extra because we're going to be at CrimeCon. Right. And uh, Tara said, have fun. I hope I get the time to go next year. And it honestly sounds like you ladies need a relaxing vacation. No (laughs) worries. No responsibilities, yeah. just a little R and R. Love you, ladies. Look forward to the next episode. And Tara, we love you too. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Horns. Um, we look forward to meeting you next year. Yeah, we um, hope hope next you can make it. We sure as shit do. It's a blast. Um, yeah. And we are just excited to tell you guys how um, it all went. So yeah. we wouldn't be there without our Patreons and all of our supporters and all the things. We're so grateful. So thank y'all. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also join us on Patreon where we have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content and we have a video club for 12 plus patrons where you can interact with us in person yeah now let's take a quick break and then we'll get into the story when we come back We would like to take this moment to tell you about our sponsor, Magic Mind. So Magic Mind came into my life at the exact right time. My life is very busy. I'm a podcaster. I have a full-time job. I have children, a partner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a full-time job and a second full-time job podcasting. So I don't know how you do all of those things. Uh, Me neither. (laughs) But all of those things (laughs) require focus and attention. Frankly, I cannot survive without caffeine. Usually my caffeine intake consists of in the morning, first thing, Coke Zero, two caffeine pills. Then coffee, green tea throughout the rest of the day, pop another caffeine pill or two if I need it. And when you have that much caffeine in your system, it makes it almost impossible to sleep. So I also have to take sleep aids. It's a mess. Yeah. (laughs) But cut to magic mind. Yes. So I was skeptical, but I tried it for a week and I swear I did not need the caffeine pills or coffee. Wow. Yeah. It was, I was like, oh, I haven't had any coffee today. I love it. It makes it easy to incorporate it into my morning routine. It's this little tasty shot. And so after seven days of drinking magic mind, I had mental energy. I noticed I was more focused. I was more productive. I was sleeping better and generally less stressed and anxious. Nice. And my husband is like this super like health conscious guy and he tried it too and he loves it too. Magic Mind is the world's first productivity drink. It's got all natural ingredients sourced from the best suppliers they could find. There is no sugar. It's nut free, vegan, keto and paleo friendly. It's got ingredients that you can actually pronounce and regular regular folks can understand like honey, ashwagandha and lion's mane, which is an adaptogen that reduces stress and anxiety. Yes, all good stuff. And also ingredients that I'm not sure what they do, but saying them sure makes me feel good and sound smart. Try it. <laughs> Say adaptogens and nootropics. <laughs> so if you're thinking, whoa, Wendy is a sexy genius. How does she do it? Well, <laughs> Magic Mind definitely helps. <laughs> <laughs> and Magic Mind also has a 100% money back guarantee. No questions asked. So there's no risk. If you don't like it, you can get a refund. Magic Mind stands behind their product because it works. It works for me and I bet it can work for anyone out there struggling with energy, focus, and generally wanting to feel better. So go to magicmind.com slash Loops and get up to 56% off your subscription for the next 10 days with our code FRUITLOOPS20. The code again is FRUITLOOPS20. Just go to the website and get 56% off your subscription. All right, we're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Our subject today is Frederick Pete Cox, an Orlando resident who murdered three women and injured two others in 1997. Frederick, the Florida man. Yep. So now we're going to get into our next segment where we just acknowledge the victims in this case. And we want to give love and light to all the victims and the community and loved ones left in the wake of this tragic case. 
So the victims are Rest in Power Queens, Patricia Ann Logan, 40, Stephanie Elizabeth Singleton, 26, Mary Ann Vopel, 22. All of these women were mothers and loved by their families. We should say again that we tried to find out details of the victims' lives, but in this case, we could not find any. On some of them. On some of them, sorry. Yeah. So if we give details about some but not others, it's just because we weren't able to get them, not because we do not care. Yeah. And if you're out there listening and you happen to know some information to shed some light on these victims, um, who they were, get at us because we would love to um, share as well. So um, also he attacked five women total. Three of them were murdered, just um, listed their names and two survived. The survivors of the attacks are Tracy Adams, who was 34, and Yolanda Niels, who was 28. So now let's get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Orlando, Florida. The geography of Orlando is mostly wetlands, consisting of many lakes and swamps. The terrain is generally flat, making the land low and wet, and it is dotted with hundreds of lakes, the largest of which is Lake Apopka. The area was originally inhabited by the Timucua and Seminole peoples. Between 1817 and 1858, there was a series of three military conflicts between the United States and the Seminoles of Florida. That's a lot of conflict. Yeah. Shouldn't at some point somebody give up? Yeah, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they didn't. It was dubbed the Seminole Wars. In 1838, during the Second Seminole War, the U.S. Army built Fort Gatlin during the construction of a series of fortified encampments all across the state of Florida. When the U.S. military abandoned the fort in 1839, the surrounding community became the town of Jernigan, which was renamed Orlando in 1857. Hmm. Prior to the Civil War, the area was a cotton and cattle center. After the war, citrus became the leading industry. The South Florida Railroad arrived in 1880 and was extended to Tampa in 1883. In the 1950s, the development of the Cape Canaveral Aerospace Complex, 50 miles east, spurred population and economic growth. Walt Disney World opened in 1971, about 20 miles southwest, spurring even more growth. Wow! (laughs) The area was chosen by Disney in part because of Orlando's inland location. Although not totally free from hurricanes, being inland means that the hurricanes are less of a threat than in the coastal regions. Disney World, I have always known it is the shit is what everybody says, but I... (laughs) (laughs) cannot bring myself to go there. But I am interested in Universal Studios Orlando, Florida. That's where all the the kids shows were filmed when I was a kid on Nickelodeon. They they had P.O. boxes. So if you'd love to show, you could send them a card or a letter to their P.O. box. Universal Studios Orlando, Florida. Oh, Um, I didn't know that. Um, Totally pointless information. Moving on. (laughs) Today, tourism, conventions, and trade shows like CrimeCon, are the basis of the city's economy. Orlando now has more theme parks and entertainment attractions than anywhere else in the world. Wow. The Disney complex alone covers 47 square miles. So that's basically the whole economy of Florida. I mean, that's Miami who? (laughs) (laughs) So our subject today lived in Pine Hills, a neighborhood located just five miles west of the Paramore neighborhood in Orlando. The Paramore neighborhood, one of the more historic districts in downtown Orlando is also historically black. Oh, interesting. Um, Because segregation did not allow black people to live in the city's predominantly white neighborhoods, the Paramore neighborhood was one of the only places that they could live. During the 1930s to the 1950s, Paramore was the economic hub for black people in Central Florida, drawing visitors to businesses, doctors, restaurants, and shops. I imagine it was an important place on the Green Book. I wonder. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, yeah. Places to stay and eat. Yeah. Without getting lynched? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) It was also a center for entertainment with several venues where famous musicians performed. The most popular spot was South Street Casino, a club built by Dr. Wells, which was located next to his Wells-built hotel. This was where, so the South Street Casino is where Cab Calloway, Ella Fitzgerald, Ray Charles, B.B. King, and many others played. Wow. And the entertainers stayed at the Wells-built hotel. Okay. And and Dr. Wells, should we know any 
anything else? So Dr. Wells, his name was Dr. William Monroe Wells. Mm -hmm. He was a black physician who became a healthcare and economic icon for the Paramore community in the early 1900s. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thanks, Dr. Wells. (laughs) Well, today the hotel has been transformed into the Wells Built Museum of African American History. The museum features over 6,000 square feet of display space showcasing artifacts, turn of the century decor, and memorabilia. It retains the original hotel facade and a guest room featuring authentic furniture and decorations of the 1930s. Woo! I think that would be amazing to go there. I do too. One of the things I love is Black people's style since the beginning of time. And I would love to get my eyeballs on that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So back to Pine Hills. The area that would become Pine Hills began in 1953 with the first subdivisions, Robinswood and Pine Ridge Estates, constructed along the newly completed Pine Hills Road north of Colonial Drive. It was one of the first suburbs of Orlando and grew as a bedroom community for the workers of Martin Marietta, now Lockheed Martin. Oh, (laughs) Lockheed Martin. Okay. (laughs) At the time, it was an upper middle class white white suburb with a country club named Silver Pines. That sounds like the title of a horror movie. It does. Silver Pines. Are we sure it's not a horror movie? (laughs) I don't know, but maybe we should write one. Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But as newer neighborhoods developed offering more housing options, rental rates dropped and housing became more affordable. At the same time, fair housing laws were enacted. White residents moved out of the area in a phenomenon known as white flight, which happened in many predominantly white neighborhoods across the country at the time. Yeah, but you know what's interesting is I look around in the cities I've lived since I was a child, and I don't think white flight is over. It just shifts and moves. Yeah. But there's always yeah there's always some sort of white flight some sort of white flight anyway yeah but back to pine hills so pine hills is now majority black at about 70 percent and is one of the most ethnically diverse regions of the greater orlando metropolitan area there are large caribbean populations of haitians jamaicans and puerto ricans and there's also a large asian population of vietnamese koreans and cambodians the latinx population is also above the state of florida's average Hello. I love that. It just seems like yeah, a, it sounds awesome. Oh, a rainbow of lovely flavors and smells and cultures everywhere. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> but when the white residents moved out, companies stopped investing in the area and schools in the area and schools in Pine Hills dramatically lost funding. Into the late 1990s and early 2000s, Pine Hills acquired a negative public perception of the area in local media. That's interesting. It, it's the ha- Pine Hills had the negative public perception, but Pineals didn't do anything wrong. It's no. I mean, the people left. So people left, yeah. This phenomenon has since been coined the Crime Hills narrative. That's not nice. Yeah, that's what they called it, Crime Hills. Not cool, man. Pine Hills has one of the highest rates of poverty in the state of Florida, although several flourishing neighborhoods exist where the median family income exceeds the area average. Almost half of all residents in Pine Hills make less than $45,000 a year, and the unemployment rate is 8.4%, which is more than double the national average. Surprise, surprise! When communities are not invested in, they have a much higher rate of crime and poverty, not because the residents are inherently lacking in moral character, but because general Generations of governmental apathy and systemic destabilization has allowed for such problems to prosper. I'm glad you said it. Thank you. Um, oh, I was just going to ask if Ron DeSantis was um, makes an appearance. Yes, here he yeah. is. So, <laughs> Governor Ron DeSantis is currently in the process of attempting to erase certain histories and facts that allow us to recognize and understand why poor communities and communities of color in Florida have an increased rate of drug abuse and violent crime compared to better funded areas. Tell us, Ron. Are you going to write a new textbook telling us the truth? (laughs) (laughs) His truth. Yeah, (laughs) I don't think I want that. No. He also recently approved HB7, Individual Freedom, 
Ugh. A bill, you know, if it's called individual freedom, it's, it's going to be gonna bad. Be very bad. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Because yeah. it's always the opposite of what they call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, oh, I'm just thinking of an Ugh. explosive diarrhea diaper from a, yeah. a child. That's what it's yeah, going to be like. This is, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is bad. <laughs> So it's a bill that attempts to restrict the teaching of black history and outlines the situations in which it's unlawful for employers and members of the K through 12 education system to implement diversity. It sounds like the opposite of freedom. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Just the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. So now let's get into Frederick Pete Cox's early life. Frederick Pete Cox was born on August 27, 1953 in Tallahassee, Florida, but he moved with his family to Orlando at a young age. He graduated from Jones High School in 1972, then joined the army and served in Germany. In 1975, he married a German woman named Gabrielle. We don't know what became of that marriage. After serving for three years, he was honorably discharged. He then lived and worked in Orlando, as well as serving in the Army Reserves. He had a string of different jobs in Orlando, including working for a few months as a corrections officer in 1978. He was fired from that job for falling asleep at work. Wait! Never, never a, a good I idea. I didn't know I wasn't allowed to do that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. <laughs> He then worked as a telemarketer and continued spending one weekend a month drilling with the reserves until about 1996 when he injured his back and could no longer serve. Afterwards, he walked with a cane. Interesting. So physically, not 100%. Right. Which makes right. what happens later on very unusual. So... Cox had two sons, although they were grown by the time the murders occurred. Cox lived with his common-law wife, Rosena, uh, and two German shepherds in a modest home off of West Colonial Drive in Orlando. Cox had his first run-in with the law in 1988 when he was arrested at an adult bookstore for indecent exposure. Oh. He was masturbating in the store. Wait, but they have like masturbation booths in those stores. Apparently not Apparently in this not one. Apparently not in this one. Or he chose not to use a booth right because they aren't free which totally sucks so i get it I'm just soon afterwards in 1990 he was charged with possession of cannabis he pleaded no contest to both charges and agreed to perform community service in 1991 he also volunteered for a group that helped addicts recover oh i love that Family members said that he didn't talk much, but he was nice. However, neighbors described Cox as unfriendly and that he kept to himself. One neighbor who lived across the street said, quote, he was real, real quiet. He never talked to anyone, unquote. That is, I mean, your family, blood is thicker than water, right? But for your family right. to say he was nice, that's it? Yeah. That's all my family <laughs> has to say? That's terrible. That's, that's all I could find. Maybe they oh. said other things too, but that's all I could that's find. That's a bad sign. Wow. <laughs> He's, he seems nice enough. Yeah. My brother, I mean, he was nice, but I, I've never seen that before. And then things like, so your family is supposed to be the nicest people to you generally. Right. But... Uh, they're not in this case, which is very telling. <laughs> so uh, his hobby was operating a ham radio, which involves radio operators talking to each other over VHF and UHF frequencies. Don't know what that is. And his home had large antennas on its roof for this purpose. So it's like Stranger Things style. Did they have uh, big antennas on the roof? I mean, or... Did they have ham radios? I don't know. I don't know exactly what a ham radio is, but it was in the 80s and there were radios that they used to communicate. Oh, were they walkie-talkies? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a ham radio is different. You can talk to people all over the world <gasps> with a ham radio. Oh, what? Yeah. We should get one. <laughs> I mean, for the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, I think in The Walking Dead, uh, one of the characters was talking to somebody on a ham radio. Okay. Yeah, we should really look into that. Um, maybe a Radio Shack trip when we're at CrimeCon? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so it's uh, this radio that you can talk to people all over the world. Yeah. But his other hobby was driving around town in his tan Buick Park Avenue, picking up women he thought were sex workers and uh, then shooting. Not good. Not good. Should have stuck to the radios. Yeah, just the radios. Just the radios alone. 
So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Now let's get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. On March 12, 1997, 34-year-old Tracy Adams was returning home from work around midnight when her car got a flat tire. As she stopped to fix her tire, Cox approached her and asked for sex. That, that's, that would be terrifying. Which part? You're just fixing your fucking tire uh-huh. and some dude comes up and asks for sex. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Not, hey, can I help you fix your tire? No. Right. <laughs> right. I, I Maybe there's a, uh, there's got to be an adult film somewhere that has a beginning such as this. Um, um, yeah, bound chicka wow wow. Hey, <laughs> do you need your tire changed? Oh, ow. Um, But yeah, you're right that if it's not in that context, this is incredibly terrifying. Unexpected, unnecessary. And what does he want? Sex. Uh, yes. And... Can't he see that I'm busy? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> um, ugh, ugh. So yeah, uh, so she was not a sex worker, and she refused his proposition. He reacted by shooting her in the arm, and then he fled. Ugh. Yeah. So what a fucking coward. Um, yeah. What a dick. dick. <laughs> Terrible question to ask. What did you think you? What did you think was going to happen? She says no. So you fucking shoot her. Uh, I don't know what to say, but Tracy, thank goodness she survived. But after healing, she had lingering issues and trouble with moving her arm. Two weeks later, on March 25th, a hiker found the body of 40-year-old Patricia Logan. She'd been shot and her nude body dumped in a field near West Colonial Drive. It was determined by the state of decomposition that she had probably been murdered around March 20th. On April 16th, Yolanda Niels, 28, was picked up by Cox, who she said was dressed professionally in a nice dress shirt and slacks. He promised her $25 for sex. Cox then drove her to a secluded area near Universal Studios, Orlando, Florida. (laughs) He parked and told her to get out of the car so they could have sex. Outside the car, he told her he'd been on a date with another girl and it didn't work out too well. He then shot her in the face. What? Yeah. These escalate so fast yeah too quickly for this to be i don't know it just this feels like this couldn't have been the first two is what i'm gathering yeah yeah such a nice quiet guy to be this spontaneous he's not very nice no yeah (laughs) what the heck so the bullet ripped through her cheek and she ran for her life as cox kept shooting after her she survived although she was left with a speech impediment yolanda helped detectives develop a sketch of the suspect and identified the type of car he was driving. Then on April 29th, the bodies of Stephanie Singleton and Marianne Vopel were found in a wooded section of Orlando's tourist area. Stephanie and Marianne were friends and they both had children. Um, It is uh, kind of interesting to me. I guess um, we'll get into the investigation and the arrest later, but it sounds like these cases didn't go unsolved for too long. Not too long, yeah. no. 
Their lives had gone on a similar trajectory. Brought up in loving families as juveniles, they drifted into drugs and then later sex work. Uh, The two often spent time at an abandoned house taken over by drug users. Stephanie's mother had done everything she could think of to try to get her daughter out of that life. Stephanie spoke of cleaning up, but was always drawn back in. Her mother told her that she was always welcome back home, but Stephanie did not take her up on her offer. I was just thinking about sex work in general. We talked a lot about sex workers in the context of serial killers because they are a vulnerable part of our population. Yeah, they're often the victims. Exactly. But I do want to also note that there are people who are engaged in sex work who want to be there. It's not always... Um, trafficking trafficking, and trafficking is another aspect, but it's not always people who are forced into it or or have limited choices. There are some people who do find sex work intentionally and do find it to be liberating. I don't know why, but I felt like I needed to say that. Now, um, so Marianne's mother, Kathleen Scott, last spoke with her daughter three weeks before her death when Kathleen told her she couldn't live with her anymore. Kathleen thought that Marianne went to live with a friend. But when she hadn't heard from her in weeks, she began to worry. She started searching areas where she knew her daughter hung out and talked with family members about filing a missing persons report. Cox had killed the two women, then loaded both of their bodies into his Buick and dumped them in a wooded area. Their bodies were found during a week that saw two other murders and a rape in Orlando's tourist district. So people were kind of freaking out. Yeah. Kathleen, who is uh, Marianne's mother, was racked with guilt over her decision not to let Marianne live with her, wondering how she could have practiced tough love and not have lost her daughter forever. Mm. She ended up raising Marianne's son. Oh, my gosh. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Through terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. So now let's get into the investigation and the arrest. So after seeing the composite and the photo of the car, Tracy Adams called police to say she had been attacked by the same man. Later, while Tracy was in a grocery store with her daughter, she saw the man who assaulted her. She wrote down the license plate number of his car and called the police. Yeah. (laughs) Got Got him. him. Way to go, Tracy. (laughs) Woo. This information led police to Frederick Pete Cox, 43, who was arrested on May 21st. 
Police searched his house and car and found a 9mm gun and blood on the carpet of his Buick. The blood was later identified as Marianne Vopel's. Also found in his car was half an ID card belonging to one of the women. So Cox was charged with first-degree murder. As the investigation progressed, additional charges included two counts of attempted murder. Marianne's mother, Kathleen Scott, said she was pleased that police had a suspect so she could get some closure. She had been afraid that it would take years. She also commented that the photo of Cox, who was graying at the temples and wearing a polo shirt, didn't fit the image of the killer she had imagined. She said, quote, he looks like somebody's father, not a serial killer. Unquote. Yeah, that's interesting how he didn't look to me like other killers we'd, we've covered in the past. He looked like Uncle Ben. Yeah, well, you Jesus know, Christ. a lot of a lot of serial killers actually don't don't look like serial killers. You're right. They just look like normal. Regular, BTK. Yes. Regular. Looks pretty normal. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's if the call is coming from inside the house. It's always somebody <laughs> regular. Yeah. Right. So if you're out here looking for like a boogeyman, there really isn't one. He's. He, yeah. It's just them. the guy who looks normal. Yeah. Although they did find aliens in Mexico. I don't know. If so I knows. heard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I. They look like paper mache. That's what I thought. I thought it's something. <laughs> I'm not project. buying it. I'm not buying it, Mexico. Exactly. I don't think so either. <laughs> the aliens are already here. Okay. Thank you. Um. So now we're gonna get into the trial, and I can tell you that the defense said Cox was mentally ill or did not plan the murders, and asked that he be tried for no more than second degree murder because the killings were not pre meditated due to his mental state second degree murder is not punishable by death so that's why he was trying to pull that one yep. but he was charged with first degree murder and the prosecution asked for the death penalty the trial began in february of 2001 during the trial Cox began claiming paralysis in his legs and right arm and was wheeled in in a wheelchair there was no medical evidence supporting his claim and his defense claimed the paralysis was psychological kind of reminds me of um the golden state killer like when he was finally caught oh Oh, right. Like, yeah. His voice was He's all infirm. Yeah. yeah. His, you know, in a wheelchair. And um, I don't know if I if 100% bought that. Buy it. Yeah. yeah. So um, this also seems like a scam. Cox. <laughs> so the trial ended in a mistrial when jurors could not agree on conviction. There was one holdout and the rest of the jury could not convince him to convict. Cox was tried again in April of 2001. This time it was a bench trial and he was convicted. Mm -hmm. But the sentencing phase was held up for nearly two years due to questions about his mental state. Cox was still claiming paralysis and assistant state attorney Jeff Ashton commented, quote, if he's a faker, he's so persistent a faker, there's got to be some mental issue. That's interesting. He's faking for so long. He just must be crazy because this <laughs> if he was faking, he would have it, it would have revealed itself by now. Right. So isn't that just another way of saying, oh, maybe there is something wrong with his Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and that was from the uh prosecutor. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Yeah, it is. Um the way he worded it is what I'm laughing at. Not <laughs> He's a persistent faker. A persistent faker. So there's got to be some mental yeah. issue. Um, it just seems like something I could see Will Ferrell saying it or Conan O'Brien. Um, <laughs> and the idea of doing so makes me laugh. Anyway, incidentally, Jeff Ashton was the prosecutor in the case against <gasps> Casey Anthony. Whoa! Oh my God! Whoa! I couldn't wait till you got to that part. It's like my eyes like stopped dead in their tracks. Wow! (laughs) This feels very sick and wrong to say, but I'm a very sick person. Um, I feel bad that I enjoyed seeing that name. (laughs) Wow. I recognized his name, so I Googled him because oh. I'm like, I think there's a prosecutor in Casey Anthony's wow. case, and so I Googled it. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, isn't it so wonderful to have a resident OG trying <laughs> to help us put these pieces together? Thank you, Beth. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow. <laughs> That's almost as good as a DNA solve. Woo! <laughs> 
Eventually, after getting input from the victim's family members, prosecutors dropped the death penalty. The family members did not want the case to drag on for years. And in January of 2003, Cox was sentenced to life. Times three. I can understand the family's desire to do that. Yeah. And I really appreciate that the prosecutors got input from the victim families. That's, I rarely say, way to go prosecutors, but I think I'm going to say it in this case. So now let's get into where are they now? Well, Cox is currently incarcerated at the Suwannee Correctional Institution in Live Oak, Florida. So now let's get into our takes, friend. Um, I was thinking that I really enjoyed us having more of a discussion. Oh, okay. So I have read your takes, but if you don't mind, I might interrupt in between. Sure. Okay, cool. All right. Okay. So this guy reminds me of the Grim Sleeper. Oh, how so? Uh, he was kind of under the radar. It looked like a regular guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even, even though it sounds like he was kind of freaky deaky yes yeah (laughs) yep i don't think it was unusual for him to go to sex workers yeah i think he probably did that all the time yeah judging by some of the quotes he um maybe uttered to other people in this case yeah yeah and uh getting caught in a adult bookstore master well there's that yeah whatnot Uh yeah Uh yeah yeah so the unusual thing was not that he went to sex workers it was when he started killing them (laughs) right because right yeah absolutely thanks og (laughs) (laughs) and he was 43 that's an unusual age to start murdering to to start being a serial killer uh that doesn't usually happen most serial killers start younger okay at least there's usually some similar crime when they're younger, at least. Yeah. So I do wonder if there were previous victims and we're just not aware of them. Yes, that is my yeah. thought as well, because the span yeah. of time, I think it's maybe a year or two that the murders took place. No, it was months. months. OK, so very small window of time. Yeah. Starting at age 43. That is very unusual. Right. It is. But if these were his only victims, maybe he was having a midlife crisis. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, he the the crime started in 1997. Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to go to the reserves anymore mm-hmm. because uh, somewhere around 1996, so like a year earlier, he hurt his back, so he couldn't be in the reserves anymore. Okay. Oh. And that was probably a big part of his uh, ego. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Yep. So there was that. And then he was walking with a cane. Right. My thought is, uh, you know, what made him him was no longer. And that definitely might pose a crisis. Yes. Yeah. So he may have been in some kind of crisis. Mm -hmm. And maybe when he propositioned Tracy, who refused his advances, he got mad and shot her. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the plan. Like it just happened. Oh. And then it turned out that he liked it. Oh, so we've talked. He kept doing it. Yes, 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 yes. I feel like we've had this exact same line in more than one case script before. Yes. It yeah. It uh, wasn't yeah, on have. purpose, but it turned out he liked it. And yeah, yeah. I agree. He liked yeah. it. He liked it a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sand lot. Yeah. In any case, I think the fact that he walked with a cane and looked like someone's dad disarmed his victims. They weren't expecting Absolutely. him to be a serial Very killer. Very unassuming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very disarming. Is this man coming to sell me rice? Do you work for <laughs> Uncle Ben? Nobody <laughs> told you you look like the man on the rice box. It that was, was kinda, my huh? thought when I saw the photo. It looks like Uncle That's Ben. What? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to um, any Uncle Ben enthusiasts. I don't mean to. Um, I don't mean to um, hurt you in any way. Um, yeah, I agree. It, uh, all the victims were um, just happened to be sex workers. Not all of them. Um, yeah, Tracy wasn't. Right, Tracy wasn't. But you know, this is. I feel like this goes without saying. It doesn't matter what these people did you shouldn't kill somebody <laughs> yeah it doesn't mean they should be exactly. killed for christ's sake exactly sakes. Yeah. not a license to um have your life taken away and i'm really no. i 
that sex work is work. It is work. It, and oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm talking pension plans, benefits, day paid time off. Seriously, like yeah, imagine. we should yeah. we should have that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, I had never heard of Mr. Frederick Pete Cox. Disappointing that there wasn't more information about the victims, but we know why. We mind, yeah, we mind the internet for all the information we could get, and this this is it. This is it. <laughs> this is I it. even yeah. asked Chat GPT. <laughs> Do you understand? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, but again, love and light to uh, the victims and everybody left in the wake. Yeah. Let's move on now to how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So this is a tip from one of our fruities on Instagram, Heather. Instagram. <laughs> so Heather said, hey, ladies, love the podcast. Your empathy towards the why made you so special. I wanted to share this how not to get murder tip. Essentially, ask your rideshare driver to say your name first so you can confirm oh. they are just a random car. So you go in there and you say, What's my motherfucking name? Wendy <laughs> Williams. Just kidding. Um, so back to back to Heather's tip. Make them say your name first so you can confirm. This actually came from a story. She gave us the link of the story in her message, but there was a killing of a South Carolina student who mistook a car for Uber prompts. Oh, um, Rideshare safety oh, campaign. That's so. Sad. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, thank you for sharing the article and the tip, Heather. And uh, we hope you have a great day, too. So thank you. That's a fire-ass tip. Yeah, thanks, Heather. All right. Well, let's get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by or about any BIPOC or uh, LGBTQ plus or marginalized folk or any true crime goodies. OK, so the other black girl is a program I just started watching on Hulu, and it's an American comedy, drama, mystery, thriller, horror show. Um, basically, it has everything. And it's based on a novel by Zakia Delilah Harris. And I've never read it, hmm. but the main character is a black girl named Nella. She's an editorial assistant and she's the only black girl in the office for a long time. But then this girl Hazel gets hired. And at first it seems like, okay, we got each other's back, but then it seems like they don't. Mm. The reason why is sinister. Like there's something going on. So anyway, the other black girl on Hulu, very enjoyable. I have that on my uh, watch list. So I'm going to have to get on it. It's really good. Download it for the plane ride to CrimeCon in Orlando. Good idea. Universal Studios, Orlando, Florida. <laughs> and then I was going to shout out American Filth. I've only listened to the trailers. I haven't got to sit and listen to the episodes yet. American Filth is a podcast hosted by a comedian and she talks about cases about like founders, capitalists, crooks, sex scandals, dirty, dirty stuff, filthy, the filthiest <laughs> death pool for your ears. And uh, it, it just dives into the filthier side of American history. So if you're really into history, trash, dirt, crime, all the stuff, right on. This is the podcast for you. I can't wait to actually listen to it. Let us know, Fruities, what you think of it. If this is a good recommendation and if you enjoyed it. All right. What do you got, Beth? I wanted to shout out a documentary on stars oh. called BMF Blowing Money Fast. Yes. So I had shouted out the TV show BMF before. Mm -hmm. This is the real story. This is a documentary about the real people mm -hmm. and it tracks the rise and fall of the most notorious drug syndicate in American history, Black Mafia Family, Hell yeah. as chronicled through the firsthand accounts of BMF members, insiders, associates, and celebrity figures close to the Flannery family. Ooh. This I love. Yeah. This sounds so exciting. So that is The Other Black Girl on Hulu, a podcast called American Filth, and BMF, Blowing Money Fast, a program on stars that tracks the Black Mafia family. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. That's the end. 
that's the end. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, um, that's the end of the program. But in the meantime, Beth, where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Five stars only, please. Five stars only, please. <laughs> also, don't forget to subscribe. Okay, so this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. to say what were we oh, talking yeah. about what are we, what's this podcast about <laughs> i know whoa i'm so sorry okay now now i'm back are we are we back we're okay back. all okay, right so, so let's take a let's break take a quick break <laughs> and then we're gonna get into the story when we go back that's a lot of conflict yeah shouldn't at some point somebody give up yeah just stop yeah <laughs> but no they didn't i don't think i want that no Ugh. Uh, there's got to be an adult film somewhere that has a beginning such as this. Um, yeah, bound chicka wow wow. Hey, <laughs> do you need your tire changed? Oh, ow. Ugh. Ugh. Cox was charged with first degree murder. Murder. He he, he murder. Yes, it was him. <laughs> Officer, there he is right over there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Officer, arrest this man. It's like my eyes like stopped dead in their tracks. <laughs> wow. He liked yeah. it. He liked it a lot. A lot. Um, I can't believe it. Oh, my God. So excited. <laughs> this is so exciting. very exciting. <laughs> um, okay. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. -S.